With the political season now upon us, all of the news, may, news stations are beginning to report about the current political candidates and tell us all about their views and all about the things that they're doing. But as we came to Ash Wednesday this week, I have to tell you, I've been thinking about our Vice President, Joe Biden. You may remember how it was about six years ago now that about two news stations picked up on the fact that Joe Biden, a devout Catholic and a man of very sincere faith, had gone to his Catholic church for Ash Wednesday services early in the morning. And that day, he continued to wear the sign of the cross, the ashes upon his forehead. He did so throughout several news conferences, and he was teased and ridiculed because of it. I couldn't help but think that it was 45 years ago now, during the presidency of Richard Nixon, when Joe Biden was just about 30 years old. And he experienced such a tragic loss in his life. You'll remember how there was a car accident. And his wife and his infant daughter both died. His sons, Bo and Hunter, both survived. And now just eight months ago, Bo died of a very tragic brain cancer. I can only imagine this Ash Wednesday as Vice President Biden came to the service of remembering our own mortality and thinking about this time of year, he must experience such great sorrow. And I hope that he too will find hope and resurrection. Tonight we begin our own time of spiritual reflection, a time when we reflect and meditate upon what Christ has done for us. The journey that we begin tonight over these next 45 days will lead to Easter. Easter is the watershed moment of our Christian faith. It is the time that we look to the death and the resurrection of Christ as the turning point in the Christian story, the full revealing of God's love for each of us. No other moment in the Christian story distinguishes our faith so clearly as Easter. God himself rising from the grave to conquer death. Jesus' own journey in those final days was filled with great hope and Great joy from the celebration of Palm Sunday to times of great sorrow in the Garden of Gethsemane. From moments when miracles were performed to the torture of dying upon the cross. His, his walk parallels our own walk in life through great joy and great sorrow, through great sadness and through great pain, through happiness and grief. And in these next 45 days, I believe God invites each one of us to remember, to give thanks, and to consider our own spiritual life in light of God's love for us. In our scripture passage tonight, we see that there is absolutely nothing that we can do to earn or deserve God's love for us. Yet everything we do matters to God. Nothing and everything. We see these kinds of seeming contradictions throughout the scripture. The humble will be exalted. It's only when we become weak that we are strong. It is in giving that we receive. We must lose everything in order to gain everything. It is in dying that we find life. One of the great questions of the Christian faith asked over and over through the years 
is how can God love me in the midst of my problems, in the midst of my own failures and my mistakes? Charles Wesley, one of the founders of our own faith tradition, wrote about this in one of the great hymns, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? When he said, Died he for me who caused his pain? For me to him who death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, wouldst die for me? Tonight I want to unpack this little scripture from 1 John. Not because we loved God, but because he loved us. In doing so, I believe we will once again rediscover the unconditional love of God for us during this season of Lent. But we'll also discover our task for this Lenten season. And there are just two things I'd like to say to us tonight. First of all, there is nothing that we can do to earn or deserve the love of God. John tells us in this passage that love comes from God, that he is the initiator, that he is the example, that he is the creator of love. His love is demonstrated in many ways, none greater than sending his own son Jesus to die upon the cross as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, to live and to die so that we might experience life and the fullness of God's love for us. One of the fundamental beliefs that we espouse as Christians is that all of us are created in the image of God, that we are God's children. But at the same time, we know that we are fully human, that each one of us makes mistakes. We know that we do not always live in the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But when we look in the mirror and we begin to examine our lives, we see that so often we live in a spirit of jealousy, of anger, of bitterness and resentment, even hatred. And we see this every day on our news stories of the violence and the injustice and the racism in our world. But we also discover it in our own impatience, in our conflict with others, in our intolerance, in our disrespect, and even at times in the rudeness and the meanness which creep into our lives. But I believe the message of John is that each and every one of us is in need of God's unconditional love. The unmerited favor of God, a free gift offered to each and every one of us. There's absolutely nothing that we can do to earn or deserve that love. We can't work any harder. We can't study any more. We can't repent more times or just continue repeatedly to pray for it. There's nothing we can do in our own strength to receive God's love. The only way we participate is to receive God's gift of kindness and accept his love. Recently, I was traveling with Bob Long and Wendy Lambert. We were in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where we went to visit another church very similar to our own. It's a church that has satellite campuses, much like we have 
campuses. We had services tonight in Edmond and at Asbury. We had a great time. We visited in the middle of a snowstorm, but we had so much fun getting to know the pastors of this other church. But late on the evening of our arrival, uh, we went back to our hotel, and I was settling into my room looking out at the Grand River. When I looked there across the river, and I realized that I could see out the window the Gerald Ford Presidential Library and Museum. As you know, Gerald Ford was the 38th president of the United States. He became the first and only president and vice president to serve without being elected. But as a congressman there from Michigan, he went and he would serve for 895 days, one of the shorter presidencies. He would go on to become one of the longest living presidents, almost 94 years of age. While his presidency will never be considered among the greatest, there are certainly things we remember, such as the Helsinki Accords, or how he worked to bring about the end of the Vietnam War, but certainly none greater than the events surrounding Watergate and Richard Nixon's pardon. Do you know that during his presidency, Gerald Ford granted 409 pardons, including the restoration of full citizenship to the Civil War general, Robert E. Lee, and to, to the World War II propagandist known as Tokyo Rose. But of course, none was more prominent or more controversial than his pardon of Richard Nixon. Early in his presidency, Gerald Ford began weighing all the factors and the questions and the considerations about offering a pardon to the former president. He finally concluded that the pardon was the right thing to do. He would say it was the most difficult decision of his life by far, but in his mind and in his judgment, he felt it was not only right, but it was truly what was best for our country. Ford's biographer, James Cannon, wrote that it was a Sunday morning, September the 8th, 1974, when President Ford would wake up and he would go across Lafayette Square to St. John's Episcopal Church for the 8 a.m. communion service. Because of the solemnness of the decision, the president felt that he should go to church to spend time in prayer and reflection, and he prayed for guidance that very day. Sitting in the president's pew, he received communion, words of assurance and words of hope. And then he strode back across Lafayette Square, where he would go and sign the presidential pardon. Later he would say, It just seemed to me that having gone to church, and having convinced myself without any reservation that it was the right thing to do, that the Lord himself gave me guidance, and I wanted to do it after church. Ford's own personal agony and pain over that decision would last the rest of his life. And while I'm not arguing the legal or political merits or flaws of the decision that he made, the reality is that with just the stroke of a pen, Gerald Ford granted a free, unmerited, undeserved gift an act of kindness which allowed one man and an entire nation to move on from what Ford rightly called our long national nightmare. God's gift to us is infinitely more significant. For John reminds us that it is God himself who offered a pardon for each and every one of us. The atoning sacrifice of Christ 
was, was God's unmerited, undeserved, free gift so that we might know God's love. One can only imagine the pain and the agony that God himself must have felt sending his son into the world so that we might be redeemed. Tonight, more than anything else that is said, I hope you will hear these words. God loves you unconditionally. God cares about your life. You are forgiven. And you are free to live because of the gift God has given to you. There is nothing we can do to earn or deserve God's love. No, it truly is the free gift of God. And so second, everything we do matters to God and shows our love for Him. While there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve God's love, our response is found in the way that we treat others. John says, since God loved us, we ought to love others. And if we love one another, God lives in us, and God's love is made complete in us. Therefore, everything that we do in our relationships with one another demonstrates the receipt and the acknowledgement of that gift of God's love in our lives. I believe John's statement even takes on greater meaning that all of our words and all of our actions carry meaning and purpose when we think about responding to his love. When we live in a spirit of kindness, we show the world God's kindness and God's love. I must admit that it's become easy to be distracted these days by the sheer selfishness and unkindness in our world. We watch the presidential debates and we hear all about what I have done and I will do. We witness the self-destruction of athletes like Johnny Manziel of the Cleveland Browns or the former Patriot Aaron Hernandez. We watch the news here in our own community and are painfully aware of police officers who betray their own colleagues and commit great sins against our citizens. We're aware of young teenagers who are hurting and even killing one another over drugs and money. The world around us is desperately in need of people of faith who will live a life of kindness and love. I'm so proud of our family of faith this year for being a part of the Kindness Project. When we commit to kindness, we commit to putting others ahead of ourselves. You'll remember how Paul wrote to the Philippians, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility. Put others above yourselves. That's what we're doing when we commit to daily acts of kindness, to putting others ahead of ourselves. I've been so impressed as we've watched Pope Francis show us acts of kindness. You may know that every year on his birthday, the Pope has invited people to come and to join him at his humble hotel for lunch and a private conversation. The first two years, the Pope invited homeless people from there around the Vatican to come and eat and dine with him. This past year, he invited migrants who had come from neighboring countries where such incredible atrocities were committed. He wanted to have lunch and to meet them personally. But did you know that the Pope has also gone to the extent of 
installing public showers in the restrooms there surrounding St. Peter's Square so that the homeless who live in that area are able to come and to have a warm bath. And every Monday, he's asked local barbers to take the day off to come and to give free haircuts to the homeless. Then he asks those same homeless persons to be the ones who will distribute the prayer books on the Wednesday Mass. And this year he provided hundreds of sleeping bags so that the homeless would not be cold at night. His efforts are certainly not without complications. There are still many long-term problems and needs for greater solutions. And he's aware of the conflicts of business and residential interests. But Pope Francis has committed himself personally and corporately to acts of kindness, a way to show God's kindness to others and to live in response to God's love. I know that every year during this time of Lent, we talk about giving something up. This tradition, as Dr. Long said, dates back thousands of years to when Christians chose to fast or do acts of self-repentance or self-denial. It's a very meaningful way to express our love towards God. However, this past year in his annual message on Ash Wednesday, Pope Francis quoted John Chrysostom, the ancient Christian mystic, who said, No act of virtue can be great if it is not followed by advantage for others. So no matter how much time you spend fasting, nor how much you sleep on the hard floor, or eat ashes, or sigh continually, if you do not good to others, you do nothing great. Lent is a great time for us to take seriously these disciplines of self-denial and giving something up. But these activities find their true and full meaning when they're expressed in the way that we love others. And so this season, I want to ask you to consider taking on something for Lent. The activity is yours to choose. Maybe you'll go visit a homebound member of our family of faith this season. Maybe you'll choose to volunteer at one of our after-school programs, Rancho Village or El Sistema, Studio 222. Maybe you can bake cookies and take them to a lonely neighbor across the street. Maybe you'll find someone who's having a hard time this season and invite them to a meal with you. Whether you do a random act of kindness for a stranger or you choose to do an anonymous act of kindness towards one that you love, whatever you choose, our ultimate goal in doing this is not our own self-edification, but to be the hands and feet of Jesus, reaching out and sharing his kindness and his love with others. It was about two weeks ago that multiple news agencies reported the story of Joey Mustaine. Joey lives there in Tennessee, a small town, and he and his eight-year-old daughter had decided to go out for ice cream. They went to one of their favorite local establishments, and they were sitting down and eating dessert. When in the door walked a homeless man, clearly very muddy, very smelly. People in the restaurant kind of moved to the side. But Joey was amazed to see the restaurant manager walk straight up to this homeless man, introduce himself, Say, I'm so glad you're here. I'd like to offer you a hot meal of your choice. Joey was so impressed by this act, he wanted his daughter to see what was happening. 
as this manager took time to care for this homeless man. Joey would later later comment, you know, I love to teach my eight-year-old life lessons, but it's even more so meaningful when other Christians teach my daughter life lessons. When we allow God to work through us, through our acts of kindness, others too are inspired when they see God's love at work in our lives. So tonight, as we come to receive the imposition of the ashes, my hope and my prayer for you, first and foremost, is that you will receive the gift of God's love, that you'd know his all-consuming and unconditional forgiveness and grace in your life. But I also pray that as you accept that gift, you'll be inspired to go out and to do acts of kindness that demonstrate your love for God and show others the gift of God's love made complete in your life. All these things we say together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.